Welcome back to the LTA Podcast, a series dedicated to improving the lives and education of all learners. Today, we sit down with Carolyn McGuire, the author of Why Will No One Play With Me, about the essentials of socializing and how to teach a student these life skills. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Carolyn McGuire, who's a coach, author, speaker, and the director of ADD Coach Academy. Um, She specializes in coaching parents to help their children. She has published a book, Why Will No One Play With Me? Thank you for being here, Carolyn. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So in your book, um, you focus on social skill development. What are some red flags that parents would look for, or maybe even teachers would look for, um, in social skill development of their children? So I think the first one is if a child is not invited to play with other children, they aren't having play dates, they aren't invited to birthday parties, they're not engaging with other children at school or being incorporated with other kids, that's a big red flag. I think another red flag is if they cannot play with other children in the same age appropriate way, are you constantly intervening? Are you constantly kind of watching from the sidelines Um, you know, with your heart in your throat. Because if they can't share or play in the same way as their same age peers, it's really going to not be something that they necessarily just pick up. They probably need more direct instruction, which isn't the end of the world, right? We have now, why will no one play with me? We have other resources to teach them this. Um, The other thing is a lot of times when kids are struggling socially, they tend to opt out. So even at a very early age, I have parents writing me from all over the country about three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds who are opting out. They don't choose to go to playgrounds. They don't choose to play with other children. Um, They're so shy that they don't know how to mix in if they don't know every single person in the room. And that's okay, that's their personality and that's where they are. But what it means is they're going to choose to opt out going forward. So we need to create some intervention for them because we don't want them to opt out in life, right? And when they're teenagers, we really don't want them to. So we want to make sure we get on top of those things and directly teach them those skills. Because when a kid refuses, it's usually not about you know, willfulness. It's about, I can't, I don't know what to do. Um, In the book, I talk about seven things that everybody needs to be able to do socially. And um, I think that's also something that parents can use. You can go to I Will Know and Play With Me and you can look at those seven things. I'm happy to describe them. And if your kid can't do them the same as same age peers, then that's a red flag. So what are those seven things that you said you could describe for us? Sure. One is to manage your emotions. So we all have emotions. We are supposed to have emotions. We're supposed to honor them and process them. But there are some kids where their emotions flood them, overwhelm them. Their anxiety is so much. um, They tend toward drama or those things derail them. We want to teach them those emotional coping skills because you can't be someone who's you know, 50 years old who cannot cope emotionally. And a lot of kids need the direct instruction. The next is to actually um, read the room, right? So we all have things that, you know, come up in life, situational awareness. And if you can't read the room, then you aren't necessarily going to pick up on 
Um, one of the other ones, which is reading social cues and body language, right? So if you can't read social cues and body language, then it's a problem because you don't end up um, actually being able to interpret what other people are trying to tell you. And so much communication is through body language. Another one is learning to walk in, in other people's shoes, right? So we talk about empathy so much in our society today. What is empathy? Empathy is really just the ability to walk in someone else's shoes and to really understand what they're going through and also to step into the shoes of your teachers and peers, right? When you cancel the meeting on your teacher nine times and then she stopped you know, responding to you, you have to be able to say, oh, well, wait a minute, what's my part in this? I canceled nine times, maybe she's upset. Let me step into her shoes. So some kids do that naturally and other kids don't. Um, another one is meeting people halfway. You know, that's sort of that cooperative play, that interaction, that sharing, but also this idea that, you know, when you're working in a group, which we do a lot in our schools nowadays, that there's that give and take. Um, and there are kids who just don't naturally come to this. And we all know the adults who kind of, you know, you're always doing what they want or they're very inflexible. Um, and that's a problem. And then the other one is adaptability and flexibility. You know, employers have said that the number one thing that they want from people socially is not perfect social skills. It's being flexible and adaptive, which makes sense, right? Um, and the final one I call um, reading your audience because if you are communicating with someone, you have to look at them and realize who is my audience? What am I, who am I talking to? So an example is I had a little guy who wrote a teacher an email and he started with, hey, and he said, hey, when will the homework be posted? And his teacher took umbrage with that, right? Mm -hmm. And didn't like it. And so I had to explain to him that, you know, you're in middle school now. And when you write an email to someone, you can't start with, hey, and, you know, let's look at the tone. So part of that is, is also a life skill, right? Because as you mature and develop, you're going to have bosses, coworkers, and you have to really realize, who am I talking to and adjust your communication? And it may sound so higher level, but if you look at some five, four, six-year-olds, they do know, you know, my friend likes to play Marvel, so that's what I'm going to play. They know who their audience is. So your book is Why Will No One Play With Me? And we think of play as something that happens usually earlier in life, maybe tap out around age 10. So how does, how does this kind of transfer like throughout life, I guess? Well, I think it's not just play better, it's live better. So throughout our lives, we still use the cooperative skills that you have in play as a small child. And the idea of play is really that it develops those skills and it allows children an arena to practice. So when kids are playing kitchen or they're playing, you know, and making dirt, you know, piles and, and stuff like that, what they're actually doing is learning to meet people halfway, cooperate with other kids, work out conflicts. And so throughout life, you need these skills and you continue to actually play with people, right? You're on team sports, you're interacting in a group. And so the play skills or the title involving play really just reminds all of us about those cooperative skills that we all need. Um, and I have actually had, you know, CEOs and stuff contact me and say that they're giving why well, no one play with me to 
you know, board members and executives who don't play well with others. I mean, we use that phrase and what we really mean is people who can't have those same cooperative skills that you have in preschool when you're playing with someone in the dirt. So you talk about social thinking. Is that the different perspective taking that you're alluding to earlier or no, it's something different? Yeah. Well, social thinking is actually an actual um, uh, methodology developed by Michelle Garcia Winner. But I think, you know, the, the gist of any kind of social thinking is that we take perspective from others. We walk in someone else's shoes. We understand the inner emotional life of other people and what their motivations are, and we adapt to them. Um, or we just even operate in awareness of them. And so um, I think when we talk about developing these important play-based skills, we really are also trying to help children have the mindset where they understand the rules of the social world and how people operate. So you talk about direct explicit instruction around some of this social thinking or some of these social skills. How do parents or how do teachers begin this direct instruction? What, what do they start with? <laughs> sure. Um, so why will no one play with me literally leads you from here's a questionnaire you fill out to figure out what are the skills the child is missing or that we need to develop. And it walks parents through how to have an initial conversation about this, how to talk about social skills and friendship skills so that children feel not that they're being, you know, put down, but they understand everybody's working on something. And then how to sit down and actually teach the lessons. And the big thing is, I'll just take reading the room. We talk about reading the room, but when we teach it through a direct instruction, we're going to actually like bring a child to a box store or a food court, and we're going to have them do lessons where they watch people's body language and interpret that or where we go and they collect information at a family party secretly being a social spy so that they can figure out, you know, who is frustrated and how do I know that from their body and their voice and, you know, their other body language factors. So we're giving children these direct lessons, just like you would give a child a direct lesson about handwriting or reading. We're not just sort of cajoling them because as many parents listening to this know, we can talk at them all we want, but if they don't have the inherent skills, they need to develop those skills. And I'm sure many people listening are like, I say it all the time. And you do, but the problem is they don't know how. And so because they don't know how, we have to teach them. It's just not something that comes to them naturally. So... You note that your book is, is a major resource. Would um, individuals that have gone through a teacher preparation type program already have these skills? You know, you some see? do if they've been through a special education teacher program, but a lot don't because they don't have all the lessons. And I can say that, you know, for years, part of what made me gather these 150 social skills lessons was that um, you know, I was taking from this and taking from that, and it was time consuming. And I was, you know, having to sort of invent things every week for the kids coming to my social skills groups or kids coming to my office. And I, so I think with teachers, they would benefit from having everything that Why Will No One Play With Me offers, like right there, fully baked for you, for, you know, all the different 
skills that they're going to encounter and they can use them in the classroom even to build the skills of everybody because I mean most kids need to work on some of these things. So you said you have a private practice. Are you seeing a rise in um, social skills deficits or areas of concern? You know, I, I would say what I'm seeing a rise in um, is parental awareness um, that by the teenage, pre-teenage years, a lot of parents are struggling with um, kids who will only do electronics, kids who are opting out. I'm seeing a rise in that. I've always really been the person who helps the kids who fall into this netherland where they are not on um, necessarily school services. And maybe they live in an area where they can't go to a social skills group. There just isn't anything offered. But they need help, and their parents know they won't be their best selves if we don't give them that help. Um, but what I am seeing rise in are the parents who are struggling with resistance from their kid. And some of that resistance goes back to these play-based skills that they didn't acquire as little kids. And now their sort of teenage way of dealing with it is to just say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything. And the parents are in distress. And I think electronics do have a lot to do with that. Um, and I think it's always been there. I think we've always had kids who are sort of awkward, but the electronics add to it. Um, so I am seeing a rise in that. And I definitely would encourage parents to, you know, work on these things early but I would also say it's never too late. I have many tweens and teens that I work with who, and people who use the book, I have people writing to me from all over America saying, you know, I'm using the book and it's working. Um, but it is, you know, if you have a first grader and you're in doubt, please, 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 please start working on it because it's easier in that sort of K through second grade window. So, where could individuals purchase your book or what's the last final thought or resource you want to leave us with? So they can purchase Why Will No One Play With Me um, through Amazon or if you just even um, type in Caroline McGuire or um, playbetterplan.com, it'll be right there to the links. Um, and one of the resources I would love to leave them with is that um, on my website, carolinemcguireauthor.com, there's, or playbetter.com would work too, there's a ton of links to different resources that parents can use um, and can um, access as well, including videos Great. of how do you do this. <laughs> Which is really helpful for that direct really instruction help. piece. Which is really helpful. And yes. as a mom, I know that you know, there are things that I'm working on that are out of my knowledge zone. Mm -hmm. And I'm forever like, is there a video on this? Yes. So, <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to make those videos um, and they're based on real kids. They're, they're not the kids that, that have been working with me because people didn't want to put all their kids to all of America. Mm -hmm. But they, every word that is said is a genuine word that a kid said. So they're, they're real right. and they feel real. Thank you, Carolyn, for your time. I know you're a very busy woman. So. Oh my God, no, I love LDA. I'm so happy to do this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the LDA podcast. This series was made possible by the Learning Disabilities Foundation of America. Our theme music is Little Idea by Scott Holmes. In our next episode of the LDA podcast, we talk to Mark Halpert of 3D Learning, 
about helping students to reach reading success by third grade. For more resources from LDA, visit ldaamerica.org.